Before I begin, and I must apologize, Tim, this is not on your closed captioning information. I want to give thanks to two people, Bruce Olstad, who gave us permission to share his beautiful reflection as our reading, and Barbara Smith Thomas. I have worn this stole before um, that she made this morning in honor of the suffragists and the amazing accomplishment of a woman of color, Asian and African American, becoming our new vice president. Regardless of your political persuasion, that is an amazing shift for our country. So I wanted to wear white in that tradition. Thanks, Barbara, for making that possible. Weeks before the election, a member of the congregation made a request I could not refuse that I look at the website of Braver Angels, the organization Mary just told us about, and consider their suggestions. These were to take their pledge and to dedicate the first service after the election to the process of reaching out to those who had wanted a different outcome. The pledge, by the way, you can see at the bottom of your order of service. In congregations more evenly divided than ours, this Sunday, this with malice towards none Sunday means having these conversations among their members. Things are harder for them and easier for them. Harder because they had to go into their sacred spaces this weekend knowing that they were giving thanks for the outcome among beloveds who were grieving it or that they were bringing their grief and despair to their spiritual community as others were singing hallelujah for the same events. And easier because they must face bravely a conflict that more homogenous congregations can pretend is not there. More homogenous congregations can say, that's a problem for another time, another place one's neighborhood or family gatherings or the op-ed pages, but church is a comfortable place. Well, as you have heard before from this pulpit, church isn't supposed to be comfortable. We celebrate together here, yes. We hold each other's sorrows here. We comfort each other, but we also, with love and respect, challenge each other. And maybe, one day after the outcome of the election is too soon for you to accept a challenge. Maybe right now you need to simply be with your response to this election and not engage with others whose response is diametrically different. If so, please just tuck my thoughts away for another time when feelings are not running so high. The pledge taken from Lincoln's inaugural is called with malice toward none. Now that in itself seems like a pretty low bar. I mean, malice. Malice is the desire to cause pain, injury, or distress. The intent to cause harm without legal justification or excuse. Okay, I think we can manage without malice. Or on the principle that feelings are amoral, and it's only our actions that we must govern, we may even feel a rush of desire to cause our political opposites distress, as long as we don't act on it. 
I know that not even Lincoln was such an angel in his powerful second inaugural address, which I encourage you to read. It is only six paragraphs long, a masterpiece of writing and statesmanship. For the most part, his speech is a call for healing even as the war rages on. But there is one line that is a tour de force of passive aggression. <clears throat> Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. I believe my Generation Z child would say at this moment, burn. So let us strive to set aside our snark and ask in all sincerity the question, how do we move forward as a country? I think we can agree that we have not done so very effectively in the last four divided years. Can we do better? Can we do better? And what does moving forward together even mean? Well, here are some things it does not mean in my book. It does not mean agreeing on everything. Dissent and disagreement are part of any serious political conversation and no country can keep progressing without them. It does not mean compromising on everything. Politics is the art of compromise, but each of us may have, I hope we do have, some non-negotiable items. Moving forward together does not mean ceasing the struggle for justice. We keep working for what we believe to be right. It does not mean refraining from opposing our neighbor's wishes. Following our consciences means that we may be working toward different aims. That is good and proper. It does not mean accommodating our opponents so much that we cause harm to the oppressed nor pressuring the oppressed to tolerate yet more harm from a country that has devalued them for so long. It does not mean denying the harm that has been done. We must acknowledge that the decisions that lie, lie before us are sometimes life or death. People on different parts of the political spectrum would say life and death for children in cages, for transgender people whose very existence is questioned, for babies still forming in utero, for those particularly at risk from police violence, like people with disabilities, Native Americans, African Americans, for people at risk of COVID who are threatened depending on your view, either from the insistence on wearing masks and keeping our distance or from the refusal to. So if the stakes are so high and moving together does not mean setting aside these life and death concerns, what does it mean? What is the aim of braver angels? 
In my own words, I would say it means listening. It means asking genuine questions rather than assuming what people believe or lecturing them on what they must believe. It means treating one another with dignity and respect. And please note that respect here is an action, not a feeling. We need not respect someone's beliefs in order to treat the person respectfully. Moving forward means speaking for ourselves, not for anyone else. And it means asking our conversation partners to speak for themselves and not concluding that they speak for all evangelicals, all black people, all Trump voters, etc. It means unbundling the convictions that we imagine are all one package and acknowledging that they might not always go together. Bible-believing Christian does not equal narrow-minded, does not equal anti-gay, does not equal authoritarian parent, does not equal disregarder of facts, does not equal Republican. Atheist does not equal narrow-minded, does not equal permissive parent, does not equal anti-abortion, does not equal rule breaker, does not equal disregarder of facts, does not equal Democrat. It's a tightrope walk, all right. As David Blankenhorn, one of the founders of Braver Angels wrote on election day, most voters in both parties believe that America is seriously threatened by bad actors. Most of us even view this risk as close to existential. If the wrong side wins the election, quote, America will not recover. In such dire circumstances, should I compromise with what I view as an ultimate danger? Should I, reach to, should I seek to reach understandings and split differences with those who would cripple, perhaps permanently, the America I know and love? Surely, Blankenhorn says, a plausible and morally defensible answer to these questions is no. In fact, we see this no all around us today. A progressive friend tells me that as an African-American, he has no interest in seeking common ground with people whose views threaten his life. A conservative friend tells me that it's worse than pointless to seek accommodations with people who would take away basic American freedoms. In one of, Samuel's Beckett, one of Samuel Beckett's works, the character says, I can't go on, I will go on. Can both things even be possible? Blankenhorn asks. I don't know how we do it either, but I know why we must. We can narrow our circle of friends to those we agree with, we can subtly or not so subtly let political opponents know that they don't belong in our congregations. We can refuse to talk to Uncle Harold. We can even talk about seceding or urging other states to. But where does this all lead in the end? We are here. Together, we share a country. And if we no longer shared a country, we would share a planet. 
Look at the countries that have chosen division and see how that has worked out. Maybe for some it has, but for others, they've ended up as the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, each sunk in its bunker, firing at the other for decades. As India and Pakistan, as Israel and the Palestinian territories, our opponents don't go away just because we stop trying to talk to them. And where do radical solutions leave the minority that's left in the new split land? My sister in New Orleans says, Louisiana needs states like California helping to push the country in another direction. No doubt many conservative Californians would make the same argument against the former Confederate states. Please stay. Our fates are intertwined. And against all odds, we decided to form one nation, one government. After a civil war ripped it apart, we knitted it back together sloppily and without sufficient regard for justice or peace. But we tried, we're trying. As Blankenhorn says, democracy is government by talk. The goal is to keep the conversation going, even when doing so seems pointless, too painful to bear, or likely to produce outcomes that many view as intolerable. Alternatives to government by talk do exist, but none are democratic alternatives. Can we hold that, just that, as the goal to keep the conversation going? Not to convince each other, not even to understand each other, but simply in the words of the Braver Angels Pledge, to seek to understand others' concerns and aspirations. For that, we must be in conversation, speaking honestly and listening open-heartedly. I've spoken before of my deeply conservative friend, A. I'm sorry to say she really is the only one, the only good friend I have who has a radically different political view to mine. I think this is a failing on my part, but there it is, and we start where we are. I knew that signing this pledge and writing this sermon were not the hard part for me. The hard part is the conversation. The conversation I was afraid to have was with A. So I wrote to her, sharing the Braver Angels Guide to One-on-One Red-Blue Conversations and proposing that we have them by email, phone, or Zoom as she chooses since we live many hundreds of miles apart. They're quite structured, which may seem stilted for people who have known each other for years, but they guide the participants through a difficult conversation. After all, none of our political conversations hers and mine, have shed much light on each other's concerns and aspirations in all those years. They've generated a lot of heat, but not much light. So we could use the guidance. 
Braver Angels sets up these conversations with, uh, excuse me, these conversations between strangers. And that would be fascinating too. But I wanted to start with my friend. For us to ask each other questions such as these and listen without crosstalk to the answers. What life experiences have influenced your values and beliefs about politics and public policy? Why do you think your side's values and policies are good for the country? What are your reservations or concerns about your own side? What did you learn about the other person's political perspective? And did you see anything in common? So we're gonna give it a try. This is the Braver Angels pledge. Regardless of how the election turns out, I will not hold hate, disdain, or ridicule for those who voted differently from me. Whether I am pleased or upset about the outcome, I will seek to understand the concerns and aspirations of those who voted differently and will look for opportunities to work with people with whom I disagree. I urge you to consider this pledge, wrestle with it, and whether or not, whether or not you can seek, you can sign on to every word in it to seek out those opportunities. Let me leave you with one little example of how. When Mary and I went to the Mal With Malice Toward None orientation, online of course, I was multitasking. As I watched the Zoom orientation, I had my cell phone in my hand and I was sending texts to voters in voter suppression states. Sending the initial text doesn't take any brain power. It's just pushing send hundreds of times. I did it hundreds of times in the course of that orientation. I was working as hard as I could for the victory of the candidate I thought was right for our country. It felt like just the right balance that Lincoln urged upon us. On the one hand, to carry on our struggle for justice with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, as he said. To act upon our convictions as we are guided by conscience. And at the same time, precisely the same time, to seek to engage with those whose consciences pit them against us to passionately strive for the right as we see it while staying in the conversation with those who see it otherwise, treating them as people with dignity and worth. We can't go on. We'll go on. So may it be.